Hey, this is Kyle Papadum. I'm the pastor of Legacy Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this encourages you and helps you experience what God is doing in your life. Enjoy the message. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this all week long, and Pastor Kyle has asked me to continue on in our Clouds and Dirt series, and so today I am just going to share a message with you about the now and the not yet. Do Maybe a few of you might remember 1976 when a certain group called the Eagles came out with an album, Hotel California. And one of the songs on that, uh, on that album was Life in the Fast Lane. And it seems like when that song came out, uh, culture just grabbed onto it. And we have never let go of the whole concept of living life in the fast lane. We enjoy everything quick. We enjoy everything now. We don't like to wait. We want things fast. I can remember coming home from college uh, for a break, and my mom and dad had bought a new appliance for the house. And we had never had one of these in our house, and it was called a microwave oven. Okay, and it was like, okay, what does it do? And my mom went to the refrigerator and pulled out one of Danica's favorite desserts. And I think we have a picture of it. She pulled out a chocolate chip cookie that she had baked before and she stuck it in the microwave for about, I don't know, 25, 35 seconds, something like that. And I just watched it. And then when it came out, it was piping hot and soft and the chips were gooey and is like, okay, this thing is of God. Okay, this is just what, what we need. And so it was like the regular oven wasn't fast enough, but they've made ovens faster. And it's like, oh, this is great. And everything in life has a way of moving faster. I'm, I'm old as dirt, okay? So when you say clouds and dirt, it's like, oh yeah, dirt. I remember when that was invented. Um, but when, uh, when I was growing up, telephones had, well, they didn't have buttons either. They actually had a, a rotor. And I can remember as a kid watching Get Smart. And Maxwell Smart had a shoe phone. Now, the fact that his shoe phone only actually has eight numbers on it, I'm, I'm, I'm not that old that I only can remember eight numbers. But anyway, his phone had, had dial-up. I mean, you had to manually dial the shoe phone. And it was like, I can remember when uh, my mom and, uh, and her dad were having a conversation and he's, uh, my mom said, dad, they have come out with an invention now and phones, you won't dial them anymore. You will push buttons and it will save you two or three seconds every time you make a phone call. And I can remember my grandfather, and he just, oh, that's ridiculous. Like, we have to be in such a hurry that we need to save two or three seconds. And yet, that's the way life is. We want everything fast. We want things quick. We want things now. And then there was the one invention that just killed us all. And that invention is this. Cleveland, Ohio, 1914, August 5th. And life has never been the same. Because at the red light, everything moves slow. 
Red lights are just too long. My kids will all remember their dad and my less than glorious moments being stressed about having to get somewhere. And they will all do it to me now. What will they do? They'll tap on the dashboard. And I, I, would, I would just tap. It's like, come on, light. Come on, light. I got to go. I don't have time for this. Do you ever find yourself being impatient, waiting for red lights to change? Okay, the rest of you are just lying. So, okay, I'm, we'll, we'll pray about that later too. But I want to talk a little bit about the here and the now. And the now and the not yet. So we're going to look at a passage of scripture, and I'm going to invite you, would you please stand for just a moment as we read the the scripture for this morning, and it's found in a very obscure book, the book of Habakkuk chapter 2. And here's what it says, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Then the Lord God said to me, write the answer, or the vision, plainly on tablets, so the runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Father, as we look into your holy book today, we just pray that you would reveal your will and your vision and your timing for our lives. We ask that you would help us with that, Lord God. And it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat there. So let me tell you a little bit of the backstory real quick of what's happening in the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you pronounce it. The backstory is this. The backstory is that Egypt or that Egypt had taken in Israel and Israel had now been captive in Egypt for 400 years. And then God delivered them. God used a man by the name of Moses and God gave Moses a revelation. Okay, Moses, ah, you're already one step ahead of me, aren't you? God uses Moses to take the people of Israel to the promised land. Moses was obviously the first man to ever read God's word on a tablet. Uh, Okay, did you also know that Moses was the first man to actually break his tablet? And yet God replaced the screen at no cost. Okay, so there you go. Um, But Israel then takes over the promised land. And Israel continues to be disobedient to God. So God says, if you're going to be disobedient to me, then I uh, I will have you exiled. You will be taken captive. So the Babylonians come in and they take him captive. And that's where Habakkuk comes in. And while in captivity, because of their own disobedience, the prophet has some questions for God. And here are his questions. It's found in chapter 1, starting with verse number 2. He asks this. He says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, and you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come and save. Must I see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. Wait a minute, was this Habakkuk's day or was this this past week? 
Doesn't this sound like where we live today? Doesn't this sound like our world today? Habakkuk has seen so much wickedness, so much idolatry, so much violence, so much injustice. And because he has seen all this, he proposes a couple of questions to God. He said, God, I've got some questions. Question number one that that he basically asked God is, God, how could you allow your rebellious people to get away with sinning so much without being punished? And God answers him. God says, God showed the prophet that he would soon be using the Babylonians to punish Israel for their rebellion against him. And then that immediately spun another, another issue and another question. And the second question was this. God, how could you allow a nation even more wicked and cruel than Israel to punish Israel? And God answers that one. And he says, I will, I'm assuring you that there is also going to be a day of reckoning for the Babylonians. So throughout the book, Habakkuk expresses his faith in God's sovereignty and in the certainty that God is just in all his ways. And he maintains this one point throughout, that no matter what the vision is of God, God will accomplish it. It may come soon, it may come late, but God will complete his vision for mankind. And that's where we kind of find ourselves today. We kind of find ourselves today wondering and questioning, God, you have given a vision for me for my life, but when is it going to happen? God will carry out his vision for your life. He will do it. He will be faithful to it, be it collectively as a people or a nation or as an individual as yourself and as me. God will complete what he starts. Rest assured of that. Now, the name Habakkuk, you know, I love biblical names for children. My favorite one right now is Levi. I wonder why. I just love that little guy. I, I love biblical names. But you know what, with biblical names, I haven't heard any, any families lately naming their, their, their son Habakkuk. You know, do you, how many Habakkuks or Habakkuks do you know? I, I don't know one. And even this one, Habakkuk, that, we, that we're reading from today, this is the only, only place in Scripture that his name is mentioned. So he's not even mentioned anywhere else. So it's, it's a very obscure name. But the, the name Habakkuk means embrace. It means embrace. And so when I think about the vision that God has for me, and when I think about this whole clouds and dirt idea about the, the now and the not yet, the, the, the hope that the clouds bring, but the dirt that we have to work in before we see the fruit of the clouds. When, when I think of all of that, and then I think of the word embrace, and I just want to talk to you for a few moments just about three ideas of embracing. The first thing is we need to embrace the God of our vision. We need to grapple with who gives the vision for our lives. God is the vision giver. 
God is the vision giver. It says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. If the vision is yours, then it's not God's. Plain and simple. But you see, the thing about God and his visions, you can't control God. And let's face it, we're a bunch of control freaks. We, we want to control God. We want to say, God, I've got this vision of what you need to do. And if you'll do what I want you to do, man, my life is going to be great. Or have you ever thought this? God, just take that person out. Because surely that was your will. You know, we, we want to control God. But the first thing that we have to understand about God is God is not controlled by us at all. And the vision that he places in your life, what he wants you to do, it's up to God, not up to you. And sometimes that's a little, a little intimidating for us. You see, God can't be controlled. You're not going to put God in a box. He's not going to fit in, in that box. But you have to start with the right idea about God and who he is. God is a spirit, and you can't pin him to the ground. He is like the wind. You see, God is not controlled by our time zone. He's not. Never has been, never will be. You see, he is the God that created nature and science. He is the one that has set certain laws and certain physics into being, and he even abides by those rules himself until somebody will plead for his help and his intervention. And if we will, then he will act. You see, he was the one who turned water into wine. Don't ask me how you control those elements to do that, but he did it. He was the one that said to the Red Sea, I want you to move this way and I want you to move that way and caused a wind to blow through it to dry the ground off so that the entire nation of Israel, two million plus people, along with all their animals and all their herds and all their flocks could cross on dry land. He is the same God that when the children of Israel, after they wandered around after that incident for 40 years, God said, okay, it's time for you to go and to overtake the promised land. And I'm going to do the same thing. When the Ark of my covenant held by the priests, when they step into the water, I'm going to stop the waters from flowing. And he stopped the waters from flowing, not there at that point, but about eight to 10 miles upstream, the water stopped. And all the waters passed by. And then the entire nation went across once again on dry land. That's who God is. You're not going to put that God in a box. You're not going to put the God in the box who stood in front of a grave and said, Lazarus, come out of that grave. You're not going to control that God. You're not going to control my God who 
when he was buried and put in the ground and came back to life, it was such a cataclysmic event that rocks on the ground split open and other people, other people came back to life. The Bible says that when Jesus was resurrected, there was a mass resurrection all over Israel. Can you imagine some of the scenes? Honey, I'm home. That's the God that we serve. The God that we serve who gives us a vision is the God who said to the son, stand still and allow my children, the children of Israel, to complete this battle. And he held the son. To another one, one person in the Bible said, God, anybody could could pray to have the sun stop and it would stop but what about moving it backwards God said oh no problem and that's exactly what he did he moved the sun backwards you don't put a God like that in a box and you don't say God now here's what you're going to do no God has a vision for you and when you fulfill that vision God God is going to do an incredible thing. But first, you've got to know the God of your vision. You need to remember that God is the vision giver and we are the trustee. The second thing that you have to do is you have to embrace the vision. You have to embrace the vision that God has for you. Whether it's a right now vision or whether it's a later in life vision, you have to embrace the vision. If the vision that God gives you is too big for you, or you feel ill-equipped to pull it off, or you don't have the time to do it, or you don't have the resources to do it. Chances are that's a vision from the Lord. God's not going to call us just to do something that we can do on our own power and our own strength. There's nothing to that. But when the vision is so stinking crazy big that it's like, I can't do this, that's where God shows up. And God says, it's not your vision, it's my vision, and I want to work in you. And I want to use you in that vision. Visions can come at any point in time. I would love to tell you stories. I love to tell stories, but I'm not going to tell the whole story. But there's somebody sitting here today that was part of my vision. I had a vision to start a royal family kids camp years ago. I wanted to do it so bad. And we invited the national director to our church, had him meet with all of of our children's workers. And we wanted to start this camp for abused and neglected and abandoned children of Contra Costa County. It was like, God, I know you're in this. After that meeting, there's over 100 of us in the room. I had three couples that came up to me and they said, we believe we're the ones to be the camp directors. And it was like, okay, great. I'm going to start praying on, on that. And I started praying it and I knew the couple that I wanted. And I said, God, surely this is the couple. And God said, no. It's like, okay, bummer. Okay, second choice, God. Okay, this couple, they're a good couple. They're a solid couple. Uh, I believe they, they, they could really do a great job of it. Surely they are the ones. And God said no. The third couple, God said no. And I said, God, I'm out of couples. <laughs> I'm out of couples here. 
and no one came forward. And that went on for almost nine months. And I went in one day to my office and I said, God, was I all wrong about hearing your vision? And I went over to my bookshelf and I had like multiple videos and multiple books and pamphlets uh, about the, uh, the whole organization. And I decided, okay, I'm gonna take one of each and I left it on my bookshelf. I took the others and I, I filed them in my trash can. And I said, God, I guess I was just all wrong about this. I guess I didn't really hear your voice. Later that same morning, I had an appointment with a man in our church, and he had set up an appointment with me to, to talk with me about uh, becoming a deacon in the church. And he came in, and we started talking. And I said, so what, what, what would you like to do ministry-wise? He said, well, we would like to work with children. And then he said, we would even be willing to go like even overseas maybe and, and see what God would do. And it was one of those God-ordained Holy Spirit moments. And I said, I said Jeff, would you and Janet consider Royal Family Kids Camp? I said, I just filed some, uh, some materials on it. Let, let me get that. And I, I leaned over. I didn't tell him at that moment I pulled him out of the trash can, but I literally pulled them out of the trash can and handed it to him. I said, go home and pray on these. They did. They came back. They said yes. They went to training. They were our camp directors for several years. The first year, they came to me and they said, we're all in and doing this, but we don't know about raising the money. We don't know that we can raise the $20,000 that it's going to take. And I said, if you guys will run the camp, I said, I'll take the responsibility, the money, and I believe God is in this and he will provide. By the end of the year, we ran that entire camp in the black we had enough money left over that we sent $12,000 to South Africa and we started the first Royal Family Kids Camp on the continent of Africa. But the story doesn't end there. That wasn't the end of God's vision. I left that church. I was no longer a part of that Royal Family Kids Camp. They continued on hundreds of thousands of dollars. In fact, I heard uh, uh, last year they hit the $1 million mark of monies raised for that Royal Family Kids Camp over the years. The camp is far greater now than when I was there. The camp was far greater when Jeff and Janet, and there they are right there in, in the back today, the camp is far greater and bigger than when they ran it. And they did such a good job that the national office they, they took Jeff and they said, we want, to, we want to bring you to the national office and we want to use you all over America. All because of a vision birthed by God. I don't know God's timing all the time, but all I know is that there is a vision out there. And if you will seek God, he will give you a vision. You see, God's visions for our life are so much bigger than our present lives. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, often quoted verse, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. The hope is in the clouds, but we live here in the dirt. God will give you a vision for your future, but you have to live. But God says, oh, I've got great plans for you. And I'm going to show you things that will just blow your little mind. Because that's who he is. 
But God wants each of us. He wants to use us in ways that we can't imagine. While I was at that job, I was a children's pastor, and we had, I came back from lunch one day, and there was a, a phone call that had come into the office. I walked in, and one of the secretaries said, Pastor Phil, would you take this call? I said, yeah, who is it? They said, well, it's a local mortuary. I said, okay. So I you know, go to my office, and I, I take the call, and he said, could you do a funeral for us? And I said, well, I'm, yeah, I guess I could. Um, you know, give me a little information. I said, when is the service? They said, we've had a cancellation. The service is in two hours. And I said, okay. I said, let, let, let me run home. I'll throw on a suit and uh, give me some information. I'll do that. I just thought I was helping a guy out. After the funeral, he says, hey, you're pretty good at this. Can I call you again? And I said, yes. Because of the, just availability. I have literally done hundreds upon hundreds of funerals. I have had the joy, yes, the joy, of sharing the love of Christ with people who are in bereavement. Rough estimate, since that phone call, I've had the joy of sharing the love of Christ with over 20,000 people through funerals. This afternoon at 1.30, I'm going to be doing another funeral for a man that was born two weeks before I was. The family does not have hope. But God has given me a vision that I can bring hope even to the hopeless situations. And it is so cool when you, when you say, God, I want your vision. Embrace the God of the vision and then embrace the vision. And then finally, we have to embrace the weight. The weight of the vision. What am I saying? The weight? We want things now. We want things quick. We want things instant. You know, brew a pot of coffee, why? When I can do it on a Keurig and I can get it in, in 10 seconds. We want things now. We want things quick. And sometimes God says, wait, wait. I, I'm putting things together behind the scenes that you don't know anything about. And you're going to have to wait for me. But we get impatient sometimes. It says in Isaiah, I'm going to read a few verses. One verse is going to show up, though, on, on the screen. Have you not heard, ha, or have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, Neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And yes, the definition for the word wait is the passing of time. I get that. But did you know that there is another definition for the word wait? And another definition for the word wait is this. Serve. Serve. Read that verse again. But those who serve on the Lord shall renew their strength. You see, we go into a restaurant and we have a waiter. We have a waitress. They wait on us. 
They serve us. And that's what God is calling us to do in the wait. In the not yet phase of clouds and dirt. In those times, we need, we need to understand that God is there, but we simply have to be patient for him. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do when we believe God has given us a vision for our life and it hasn't been fulfilled? This is the tension between the now and the not yet. What we are supposed to do in the meantime of God fulfilling his vision is we are supposed to serve. We are supposed to give of ourselves in ministry so that the kingdom of God is built up in this time. We invest our lives in ministry. It says in Colossians 4.17, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. And then it says in 2 Timothy 4.5, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has for you. We have to be careful not to take God's vision and carry it out in our own power and in our own time. Do you understand that the whole thing that's happening between the Palestinians and the Israelis is all because one man got impatient with God? Had Abraham and Sarah obeyed God thoroughly and waited for him instead of taking matters into their own hands. And wives, it's never good to take your husband and show him another woman and said, have sex with her so you can have a baby by her since I'm not able to give you one. Not a good life choice. But that's exactly what they they did. They took matters into their own hands and the tension of that has been mounting ever since because that is the beginning of Ishmael and Jacob and because of that those tensions are going on today and let me just say this let me just say this Benjamin Netanyahu is not going to be able to pull off peace in in Israel Donald Trump is not going to be able to pull off peace Vladimir Putin Jinping from China not going to be able to pull it off There is only one way that peace is coming to Israel, and that is through Jesus Christ when he returns. He will will get things straight. He will get things right. But it was because two people thousands of years ago preceded what God wanted to really do. And they took matters into their own hand, and they said, we will make the vision come about on our own rules. And we've been paying for it ever since. You might have to wait. You might have to wait a long time. Real quick, I want to tell you the story of Walters. Two Walters. Walter number one. Barbara and I met Walter right after we got married. And Walter, when we met him, was about, I think he's about 87 to 90 years old. And Walter made pottery. He made pottery. He made, he made this. And so we got to know him. He's just a really nice old man in the church. So Walter, tell me your story. He said, when I was 75 years old, I went to the doctor. The doctor said, if you don't do something physically with your life, you're going to die. He said, at 75 years old, I went to Mount Sac College, and I enrolled in a pottery class. He said, I've been enrolling in the same pottery class now for uh, 20 years. 
and he has honed his skill amazingly. Barbara and I, up in our garage, we don't have enough room inside our little condo, but that's a whole other issue. We have an entire set for 12 of plates, salad plates, soup bowls, little dessert bowls, soup terrine, everything. Everything handmade by Walter because Walter at 75 said, I need to live for something. I need to live for something. So he invested his life into pottery. And I think, oh, that's great, pottery. But there's so much more that could be done in life. Surely there's got to be more to life than making salad bowls. I want to tell you another story of another Walter. This is uh, Walter and Arlene. I want to tell you a little bit about Walter and Arlene Harvey. Walter and Arlene Harvey are just some beautiful Christians. Been serving God for years. This is uh, Barbara's mom and dad. And uh, they are part of our Facebook crowd that watches Legacy every Sunday. And they are uh, just uh, north of, of Little Rock, Arkansas. And they uh, live on a ranch on 30 acres. And they have been living there for about, oh, 36 years or so. Uh, the whole time that I've known them, they have, lived, uh, they have lived in this home. And they have been involved in a ministry. They began the Soul Food Cafe at age 69. You might say, oh, they're... They're, they're way, that's way, way too old to be involved in ministry. No, it's not. They've been serving since they were 69. They've been serving in that ministry 18 years. Yes. They have. My father-in-law, Walt, has, um, he's encountered a lot of health setbacks. He's had a couple of strokes, a couple of heart attacks. My mother-in-law has uh, broken a hip, broken shoulder, in that time, but they continue serving. You know why they serve? They serve because they have vision. They have the vision to help the people of Conway, Arkansas know Jesus Christ. They distribute food. They baptize people in water. They pray with people. They serve a hot lunch. They give boxed food out. That's who they are. People, that's the way God wants us to be. I hope, I hope when I'm 87 years old and I've had a couple of heart attacks and a couple of strokes that people can still say, hey, he's still serving. He's still giving. And Arlene, uh, we just wanted to give you a little gift today just to, just to say thank you to you and to Walt for, for your service. So I believe Rick has, uh, has some flowers to give you today. And we just want to say God bless you, and we love you. And I also want to say thank you. I don't know if you realize this, Walt, but 34 years ago last night, you gave me your daughter's hand in marriage. And I just want to say thank you for that. Because Barbara has served with me to fulfill the mission, to fulfill the vision. Barbara, I'm so proud to be your husband and to say we are living our vision. Barbara and I had a vision, and our vision was this. We want to serve in ministry. 
with our kids. You're part of the answer to our vision. And it is a joy and it is an honor to serve. In closing, I just want to say this. Don't get so wrapped up in life that you think your life is just all that. That, well, I can't wait that long. I can't wait on God. If you look at the, the, the red on this rope and look at this as your life, that this is, this is your years. How old do you want to live to be? How many people in here really want to live to be 100? Okay, we got one. Barbara and I are reading a book right now, Wisdom at Work, and they're saying that uh, children Levi's age that are being born right now, there's a good chance that those children will live to be 100. And yet sometimes we get so caught up in this, in this little span of years, be that 50, 60, 70, 100 years, and we think it's all about this. But God says, no, my vision for you is greater than this little segment. You see, we tend to look at ourselves simply in these terms, but that's not how God sees us and what we do. You see, God sees us more like this. He sees this part of our life, but he sees this part. And he sees this part. And he sees this part. And he sees this part. You see, we get so hung up on that little segment of time right now. Oh, you want me to wait a year? You want me to wait five years? You want me to wait 50 years for your vision to be fulfilled? God says, don't worry about it. Because I'm not just looking at the here and now. I'm looking at the not yet. And I want to use you all through your life. And I've got plans for you all through eternity. God may say wait, but there's one thing that God will never say wait to. The only thing I know where God, if I ask God something, he is instantaneous in his answer. If you're here today and you need forgiveness of sins, God has already chosen how he wants to respond. It's simply yes. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description below to give now, or you can go to legacychurch.online for more information. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, take a screenshot, share it on your social stories, and tag us at Legacy Church Tustin. Thanks again for listening. God bless.